Thank you, Pastor Wei, for those prayers. And, um, and thank you, Matt, for, I think he's probably, oh, he's doing, um, yeah, just introducing us um, to um, creation care and how we can, we can be part of it. As I was sitting there, I was just thinking, okay, so in Hong Kong, we, we're not likely to go out and plant a tree. don't think we can do that or dig out insects. But there are so many ways that we can do our part. And I would highly encourage you to talk to Matt to you know, just explore um, the, so, the many ways that we can be part of this. Well, actually starting with, if you have not already, if you don't, have not noticed that we've got three bins outside where you can put um, your paper cups, your plastic and all those in there. So um, now that we can have food, we bring stuff in, right? Um, coffee cups and stuff. So you can also begin there. But thank you, Matt. Um, and good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Forgot to greet you. So good morning to you and um, a warm welcome to the visitors in our midst, whether here or online. So good to have you all. Wow, can't believe it's Holy Week already. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to the activities we have coming up this coming week. And I would love to see as many of you there as possible. I mean, eating, you haven't been able to eat together, a potluck together for so long. So let's do this. It's going to be fun. So, yeah, and we are almost at the end of our Cruciform Live sermon series. And so far, I mean, we've learned many things from this series. Pastor Wei had talked about how to make sense of violence in the Old Testament and also showed us um, how God is so loving. God is not a monster. And most importantly, he keeps pointing us to how the cross is the ultimate revelation of what God is like. Because on the cross is God himself crucified. And last week, I talked about the cruciform marketplace where powers and principalities manifested through systems and structures um, have been disarmed and defeated. And through the church gathered here and through the church gathered outside in the marketplace, Jesus is declaring to the world that he is Lord and the powers and the principalities are not. And today, we're going to basically look back in time to the last part of Jesus' journey before um, he finally totally completely disarmed the powers and principalities. And it's a journey that is marked by Jesus declaring himself to be the ultimate king when he was making his way to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and hence the title Behold the King. And the passage we'll be working from is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 44, and I'm going to read um, the text first. Okay. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Belpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. 
they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the cloaks and put Jesus on it. And he, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. These, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that we could be here today as your body marking this important day that you declare yourself openly to be king of the world. Lord, help us to discern what does that mean for me? What does that mean for our lives? What does it mean for the society that we live in? As we look to you and behold, because you are the king. Amen. Well, I'm going to start by asking you a question. Does anyone here know that feeling of really wanting God to come through for you? But, you know, you're not quite seeing anything yet, nothing in the, on the horizon. And so you try to remain hopeful. And maybe... Like, you know, many of us, we have searched the Bible to find verses and passages, right? And stories so that we can cling on to that, cling on to hope, cling on to God. And the favorite one I know amongst Christians is Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You know, when you're going through a very difficult period, you want to cling on to that, right? Um, and there's Romans 8, 28, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Or maybe, you know, you're reminded of how God had, had acted in your life before. You know, how he came through for you that one time. And now you're waiting for him to come through for you in the same way again. And you wait, and you wait, and you hang on, and you cling on to the expectation does anyone know that feeling? I see not, and I do. Boy, I can't tell you how much I do. I know that feeling. And I believe that many in the crowds did too, as they welcomed Jesus, making his way towards Jerusalem on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. So, what was happening then? So it's Passover time, and the Jews were gathered in Jerusalem 
to celebrate Passover. And what is Passover? It recalls how their God, Yahweh God, saved the ancestors from slavery in Egypt. But you see, it's not just about them sitting around, and it's a very, very crowded event. It's not just about sitting there and just dwelling on past memories, you know, just looking back. They are actually longing for God to come through for them again. To come and save them from foreign rule and to bring about the everlasting peace and justice that they so want to see. And the Luke passage we just read shows us how Jesus, basically Jesus wants to make a point, you know, and he stages his entrance into Jerusalem in a very careful and deliberate way to drive home the point that he is indeed the one, the king that Israel has been waiting for. And there are many layers to this passage that we just read. And I was... um, and I thought, you know, on this Palm Sunday, um, it would be a great thing for us to dig deeper into this passage, you know, to really figure out what our, our king is wanting to, what point he's trying to make. Um, because I, don't, I can't think of a better way to honor Jesus, you know, our Lord and King on Palm Sunday itself than to do that. And so that's what we're going to do. You okay with that? <laughs> that's my husband. <laughs> Um, So, to begin, we need to attend to some very important business, and I call them the donkey business. Because the donkey business is going to help us understand what Jesus is really doing in the Luke passage. So, you know how I was saying, you know, like some of us hang on to 29, Jeremiah 29, 11, some of us hang on to Romans 8, 28, some of us hang on to other stuff. Israel, the Jews, they also have the passages that they hang on to, which give them hope. And in this case, you know, the passages, the two passages have to do with donkeys. So we're going to look at them. The first one, Genesis 49, 10 to 11. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be, shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, meaning tie donkey to a vine. His colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Now this passage is talking about the coming of the ultimate king from the line of Judah and David. And this king will usher in abundance and prosperity like never before. Now tell me, would you normally tie a donkey to a vine? Um, no, because people don't normally do that. You know, but most of us here, we did not grow up in that setting, right? Um, but you don't do that because the donkey will eat the grapes. Unless you've got so much, so much, that it really doesn't matter. So much like vine, choice vine, so many, it doesn't matter. So it's a metaphor for extreme prosperity and blessings. And this is followed by another picture of, you know, where wine is so plentiful that you can wash your clothes in it. I ask the 9.30 service, have you ever heard of wine bath and have you experienced one? And yeah, a few of them put up their hands. So I'm curious, anyone here done a wine bath? 
Okay, so I, I tried to search for wine bath um, illustration and I found this. Apparently, it's a thing in Japan. So if you are desiring one, you know where to head. But you know, so it's this idea that, wow, I was like, well, that's a lot of wine. You need to fill that with a lot of wine. But can you imagine like you have so much wine that you can just go like, I want to wash my clothes in it. You know, and again, that is a picture of, of, of saying that the ultimate king who is to come is associated with great prosperity, abundance and blessings. Now, moving on to the second donkey passage here. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So like the Genesis passage, this also has to do with the one who is to come. Now the one who is to come, the king who is to come is lowly. It, it, lowly meaning humble, humble servant. It is from in, at other parts of the Old Testament. And he will be riding on a donkey. Now, it's important to note that he is not riding on a lowly donkey. There is nothing lowly about riding on a donkey. See, in the first century, in the Middle East, both the horse and the donkey were royal animals. Now, which one you ride depends on the purpose. A king going to battle will ride on a war horse you know, with chariots and weapons and such. And a king on a donkey means he's coming in peace, peaceful mission, bringing peace. See, the one who is to come is, I mean, will be a humble king and who will come on a donkey, ushering the ultimate peace and justice. That's why verse 10 that we read earlier says that we don't need chariots anymore. We don't need war horses anymore because the king on the donkey is coming in peace. Okay, so that concludes our donkey business. And now we're going to go back to our Luke passage. So there is this expectation, this sense of expectation in the air. The crowds, they are excited as Jesus makes his way in, as Jesus orchestrates his entry to make a statement. He, you know, unlike other parts of the Gospels that we have read, like where Jesus said, no, no, I'm not the king, I'm not the king. You know, he was just kind of shy about, you know, saying that he's the, not shy, but you know what I mean, like not making a big deal. But here, he is boldly proclaiming his kingship. And I want to lift up four things about his kingship and what that means. First, number one, he claims ownership as Lord and King over everything. So if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, the donkey? Say, the Lord needs it. Twice in the passage. The Lord needs it and the owners yield. As one scholar puts it, the claim of Jesus as King and Lord supersedes the rights of ownership. 
You know, and if you think about it, that's what we do too. When we worship and we sing, we say, everything I have is yours, Lord. Use it for your glory. Don't we do that? Um, but you know, so, so but I, I think it's actually easy to, easier, okay, I wouldn't say it's easy, but maybe easier to offer the donkey, partly because Jesus is now very popular. People know that he is a great teacher. You know, he performs miracles, you know, and there's this expectation that he might just be the one, just be the one, the Messiah who is to come. And so I guess if Jesus comes to you or sends someone to come to you, say, the, the Lord needs it, you're like, sure, sure, here you go. But you know, when Jesus ended up on the cross instead, I wonder whether the owners thought, huh, I don't know about that. Was it worth it? And, and we do that too. I mean, sometimes, you know, everything I have is yours, Lord. My gift, my, my whatever it is, take and use it. But we attach to that offer to God and unspoken conditions. Like, you take and use everything that I have, provided you use it, you use it the way I expect you to use it. And this idea of expectation is a theme that runs throughout the passage. That's number one. Number two. Jesus claims control over the events tied to his death. The whole passage here, everything is orchestrated. He's the one orchestrating the events. What it is, is he is not a victim. He is, Jesus is not a victim. His life can be taken from him because he first chose to give it. And number three, he claims his place as the rightful king over creation. Even nature has to submit to him. You will find a cult tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Why? Why are we told this? I mean, there's such a little detail. I mean, like, do I really need to know that you're riding a donkey that no one has ever ridden? See, and again, that's the cultural um, um, distance, right? See, so people don't ride an unbroken donkey, especially not for a journey of over a mile, you know, in a very, very crowded and noisy place. The donkey would not cooperate. In fact, it can be dangerous to do that. But Jesus says, bring me an unbroken donkey and see how it submits to me. And also, when the Pharisees said to Jesus to rebuke his disciples for crying out, Blessed is the king! Jesus said, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What is it telling us? Even the stones recognize the king and submit to their creator. But not people, not the religious leaders, not the city of Jerusalem. And we told that Jesus wept over the city. How about you? Will you submit to his reign? Will you follow wherever he might lead you? Number four, the last one. He claims his place as the ultimate king that the Old Testament points to. When we read just now, the one in Genesis 49, the one to whom the scepter is to be given the one who is associated with a donkey tied to a vine, untie, untie, untie. 
The king who is to bring great prosperity, abundance and blessings is here. I am he, I am here, declares Jesus. Untie, untie. He also claims his place as the king of the Zechariah passage we read just now, as he deliberately rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, declaring, basically, I am the humble king, the prince of peace whom you have been waiting for. And I've come to bring peace to the nations, to your life, to your, the relationships in your life, to the marketplace. But can you imagine, though, for the crowds, can you imagine how seeing Jesus, I mean, knowing all they have known and heard about Jesus, and now he's coming in on a donkey. Can you imagine how that might actually send them into a frenzy? Like, oh, is, is, it, is he it? Is he it? The one that we've been waiting for for so long. Is he the deliverer, the saviour, the ultimate saviour? Is God finally coming through for us? We've been singing every year, every year at Passover. Passover, we sing this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And we sing, and we sing, and we repeat, sing, repeat, waiting and longing for him to actually turn up. Is this guy it? That's when the crowds actually burst out at Jesus as he comes in on the donkey. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, meaning save us, save us, save us, Jesus, save us. Save us from being under Roman rule. Save us from the subjugation. Save us from oppression. Save us from injustice. Save us from the, mo the broken marketplace where the tax collectors collect above and beyond what is due to Rome so that they can put some in their pockets. Save us from the systemic injustice and oppressive practices in the Jerusalem temple where the leaders are in cahoots with the powers that be, that the, that the ordinary people are left impoverished and suffering, so much so that the poor widow has only two very small copper coins to give because that was all she had, as Luke tells us later in chapter 21. Save us, Jesus, save us! Can you try to understand that desperation in their hearts? But isn't that the cry of our hearts too? Deliver us, Jesus. Come through for me, God in my job situation, in my family, in my relationships, my health. Isn't that what we long for when we cling on to Bible passages like Jeremiah 29 and Romans 8? You know, or, you know, we sing so many songs about the goodness of God. God, you're good. You're good. I see that you're coming through for everyone. Now, how about me? Come through for me, please. Save me. Save my situation, Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus was about to do to save as he began his coronation journey on that Palm Sunday, already declaring himself to be king, but now making his way to his final crowning moment. When all powers and principalities will be defeated, and the crowds, 
What? You mean this is his coronation? This is our king? Quickly went from blessed is the king to crucify him. Crucify him. And the religious elite, instead of declaring the king to be king, said, we have no king but Caesar. You know why? Because Jesus did not come through for them the way they had expected. Jesus did not meet their expectations. They, you could say that they became disillusioned. And you know what? Maybe some of us sitting here are too. Maybe some of us are disillusioned because God had not met us the way we had wanted him or expected him to. You know, but I, I like how one author says that this illusion is not a bad thing. And here's what he says. This illusion is the loss of an illusion. It is what happens when you take a lie about the world, about yourself, about those you love, about God, and replace it with the truth. This illusionment occurs when God shatters our fantasies, tears down our idols, and dismantles our cardboard cutouts basically of how he should respond to us. I wonder this morning, church, what expectations or disillusionment do you perhaps that you need to lay down at the feet of Jesus today? You know, we have given up different things for Lent, but how about yielding in the area of how we expect him to work? God may not meet our expectations, but He certainly meets our needs. And He meets us most fully at the place where He is crowned, where all powers and principalities defeated, where He declares it is finished. Behold your King. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you would never give up on us. We thank you that you know what we need even when we don't. We thank you that you, um, you love us so much that all you want is for us to truly find life in you. And God, as we uh, go into a time of reflection right now, I want to pray for everyone in this room and maybe also online. You know our situation. You know what we struggle with. You know our disillusionment. You know our disappointments. You know the things that we just... We started talking to you and praying to you, but maybe we stopped talking to you because we just don't, don't know how it's going to turn out anymore. But help us trust in your love that as we bring these things to you and we lay them at the cross at your feet, it will be met with tender love, tender embrace, because you love us. You love us. So come, speak to us, minister to us now. Give us the word of life that you want us to hear from you. Amen.